Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I'm joined today by Jay Shapiro. Now, I have known Jay for coming on 20 years. He's one of the very early members of the Expedition Portal. He built an extraordinary overland vehicle called the Eco Roamer, which has seen millions of reads on the Expedition Portal Community Forum. He has also lived around the world, including a decade in Singapore, and now he's coming up on many years here in Nairobi, Kenya. Jay was born in Canada, and he met his wife, Alice, at a later date and then had two children along the way. So during this interview, we talk about Jay's passion for living around the world, for traveling with his kids, for building unique overland vehicles, and for integrating new technologies or identifying emerging opportunities within technology throughout that entire process. So we have a very wide ranging conversation, but some really inspirational stuff around uh, the work that they do with others, how they help improve conservation and other efforts within the continent of Africa, but also how they really stay connected as a family and have those experiences that are so critical to a life well lived. So please enjoy my wide ranging conversation with Jay Shapiro. Well, Jay, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Uh, but before we dig into uh, the amazing life of yourself and your family, um, talk about where we're sitting and recording this podcast right now. Yeah, well, it's great to have you here, Scott. So we are in the Nairobi Game Development Center, which is a 6,000 square foot community co-working space that we built in the heart of Kenya, uh, in Africa, Amazing. as a as a place to try and foster the young creative talent that's coming up in the country and, and create a, a game development industry. Well, and one of the things that you talked about around the game development, which I want to touch on later, is that a lot of these games are also serving uh, to empower conservation and conservation efforts within the continent. Um, so I'd, I'd like to talk about that a little bit later, but is that, is that, do I understand that correctly? That's yeah. One of, that's one of the missions of the organization. So, so my studio is called Usiku Games here in Kenya, and we're, we're a social impact game developer. So everything that we make is in some way either educational or have a behavior change element built into it, whether that's for healthcare, climate change, wildlife conservation, all kinds of topics that we've done over the years. Okay, so you have, you and your family have fallen in love with Kenya, um, and I'm beginning to understand a little bit of why, but what what about Kenya, Africa and Kenya in particular uh, made you want to make this kind of your, one of your forever homes? Yeah, it's funny. We, we actually came to East Africa 23 years ago, uh, Alice and I, on our honeymoon. Um, not in before. any way realizing that, that we would someday be bouncing around in Land Rovers in the same roads. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, 2016, we were living in New York. We decided it was time to, to leave the U.S. Uh, we had lived in Asia for, for more than a decade before that and, uh, and wanted to pick where where to go. And uh, so we took the kids out of school, we packed a backpack each, and we spent a year and a half going around the world to different locations, trying to figure out where our next forever home would be, knowing that we were going to spend at least 10 years there. And uh, we did a month in Mexico and Guanajuato. We did a oh, month in Italy. We yeah. did a month in India. We did a month here. We did a couple months in Canada. Um, and, and honestly, instantly fell in love with Nairobi. Uh, it's just 
it was such an amazing energy and optimism here that we knew this was the place that we wanted to be for the next 10 years. That's what I'm noticing is the fact that there is, there is, there is like a heartbeat to this place that feels like the heartbeat of Africa in ways that South Africa doesn't feel. It's not to take anything away from South Africa because I love, I love that country too, but there's something um, so unique about Nairobi and the types of businesses like yours where, or the, the not-for-profits that, that Alice and you have spent so much time working on um, to be able to, to, to support conservation and support growth, economic development within Africa. So I, I feel that here in Nairobi for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I lived in Singapore in the mid nineties and Nairobi to me today feels like Singapore did then. Wow. Um, and that's that you saying can, a lot. Yeah, absolutely. You can tell that it's, it's just starting that boom. That um, and so as an entrepreneur, for me, that's intoxicating. Yeah, yeah, sure. um, but, but even just anthropologically to be here and witness this community go through that transformation uh, is fascinating. Well, this is where humanity came from. Absolutely. So why shouldn't it be where the, the next chapter of the future originates? I think that um, Africa is a totally appropriate place in my mind uh, because there's so much youth here. There's so much optimism. Uh, there's, there's so many opportunities, I believe, in the continent of Africa. So it's incredible to see that all unfold. So you you just mentioned about the fact that, and I'm now I'm very intrigued. You mentioned about the fact that you and how many you have two kids, three kids, yeah, two kids. Okay, so you mentioned that you guys took a year and a half and a backpack each. Okay. So now we're going to get into the the uh, the large overland truck that you built. <laughs> so talk about going from something on the bigger end of the scale to as simple a travel, what, what motivated you to make that decision as a family? So, I mean, I think why you and I are good friends is this dedication to the realization that overland travel is not about the places, it's about the experiences, Yeah. right? And it's not about the vehicle, Yeah. right? That's, that's so true. And so I, I've done, I started overlanding when I was 21, was my first big trip. We circumnavigated around North America in an old Volkswagen with a German little camp tourist trailer. It was awesome. Oh, awesome. I loved it, right? Um, I've done on BMW GS bikes. We've done it in the Eco Roamer. We've done it in a couple of Prados. And, and we decided to do it with a backpack, you know, mm. old-fashioned style. In fact, Alice and Maya uh, in March are taking the Eurail around Europe. Um, so like it, it kind of doesn't matter. What's important is the people that you meet mm -hmm. and being open to those experiences. So, so Jay, now these were, were these big backpacks? Were they kind of, did you guys find that you got they rid of like, a bunch of stuff like, along the way? They were like hiking, camping backpacks, you know. That's amazing. They, look, the kids were, um, 2016, they were 11 and seven. Incredible. Something like that at the time. So they weren't huge. <laughs> I, I certainly carried a heavier one than they did, but you know, Jay, that's uh, yeah. incredible, man. So, like, and so you decided that we're going to simplify our life down to the contents of four bags, essentially. And how did you decide where you were going to first go? Did everybody get to pick? Did like Alice picked one, and then you picked one, and then one of your kids picked the next one? So, how did that work? I mean, I think you know me well enough to know that basically I'm fully. Can you say that on the podcast? Yeah. Uh, you know, so like I'd like to say that it was this big grand plan yeah, yeah. and we had it all it. worked out, right? Yeah. But um, we were in Canada. It was it was the summer of, of 2016. Um, and 
we were at my, my family has a, has a little cabin in the woods, sort of a couple hours north of Toronto. And we were, we were leaving and we drove out on the, the windy country road and we got to the highway. And stupidly, it, we could have gone any day, any time, but it was like the Sunday evening of a long weekend. Mm-hmm. And so the traffic was crazy going to Toronto. And we said, well, like, why would we sit in that when we have nowhere to go and nothing to do? Let's turn right instead. And so instead of going south to Toronto, we went north to Moose Factory. And we drove all the way to Cochrane. Then we took the train to Moosonee. And then we took the boat across to Moose Factory. And uh, we had just an absolutely amazing time. And we were the only people in this little lodge where we stayed yeah, in the Moose yeah, Factory. Sure. We sure, met sure. people in the community. It was, it was absolutely amazing. Incredible. We went to the Hudson Bay and it was fantastic. Um, yeah, Hudson Bay is way up there. Oh, it's way up there. Now, how did you get to Hudson it's Bay? It's way up there. What did you do to do that? Did you drive? drive you drive six hours from where we were to get to Cochrane. Then you leave your car there because there's no cars. There's no roads to get from there to Moosonee. Okay. Um, and so, except in the winter where you can drive on a river. That's right, 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 right. Um, and then you take a train from Cochrane to Moosonee. That's like four or five hours. Um, and then from Moosonee, you take a small boat. It looks like a canoe, but with, a, with an outboard on it across to the island of Moose Factory, which was a fur trading town That's back, in the, back in the day. Incredible. Um, and it's, it's on James Bay. Uh, and what I, again, foreshadowing, we didn't realize, same as coming to East Africa, is that my son, Kurt, last summer, uh, did what's called the Bay Trip with a group called Langskib, where they canoed across James Bay. Oh, my uh, gosh. So it was on that trip, when we were taking the train back, that we saw this group of very tanned, very fit young teenagers. And we're like, what the hell are you guys doing in Moose Factory? Yeah. And they told us about this canoe trip that they did. And, uh, and Kurt said, someday I'm going to do that. And sure enough, last summer he did. Wow. Yeah. So then... Uh, and then we just kind of went on from there. You just decided you were going to keep meandering, keep wandering as a family. Like that, That's just... I have to imagine that there are so many people listening. I mean, even I'm thinking myself, it's like, I think we get addicted to the convenience of just kind of um, a nicer car with air conditioning a house that has all the things that makes, we can make the coffee we want to make in the morning. But the reality is, is that why not just make a right turn? Absolutely. And, and, and it's probably at this point in the conversation where a lot of people listening are thinking like, oh, well, they're rich and they could take off a year and a half and all that. No, we were working the entire time. Yeah. Right. Alice and I both were running businesses. Um, I had a virtual organization. We had at that time probably about 68 people on wow. six continents, uh, but all remote, entirely yeah. remote. Yeah. Um, and so I could work from a laptop or my phone anywhere. And this sure. was this was still early days for that. So it wasn't easy. Yeah. Um, you know, Zoom wasn't even really around yet. Yeah, not um, much. Or at least not a lot of adoption. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but there was always Skype and there was stuff, yeah, sure. you know. Um, and Alice had a global team. You know, she was doing her nonprofit work. She did Global Development Incubator, uh, working in India and here and, yeah. and that. And so she flew a lot. And so there was times when they, she would leave us in said country and, and go off somewhere else. Or we all went to India because she had a project there. And so we explored villages in India where I guarantee you are not on the tourist path. Yeah, sure. Um, but where did you guys uh, home base out of in India? Uh, so we went all around the country. So, okay, so Bangalore for sure, Delhi, uh, Agra, we went to 
uh, Orissa. We went to Bihar. We went to Jharkhand. Um, we were we were all over. You guys have truly. I mean, as long as I've known you, Jay, you guys have been probably the best that I know of definition of a global citizen. And what you're doing in Kenya and the things that I've seen you do other places are certainly a reflection of that. When you, when you think of yourself in those terms, what do you think has changed most about you because of the fact that you have like unmoored yourself from a place to be a member of many places? What do you think has changed changed you as a person so much from that? Yeah, I think it sounds really stupid, but I think the biggest realization for me, and I think a lot of overlanders go through this, is the realization that anywhere you go, there's people with kids yeah. and families yeah. making a living, you know? Yeah. And as exotic as it may seem to you right. to be somewhere in the Andes, whatever, totally. the people who live there, to them, it's just home. Yeah, it's literally and their commute. It's literally their commute. And and it is not scary. It's yeah, not yeah. dark. It's, it's not true. foreboding. It's true. It's just somebody else's house. Yeah. And if you are open to meeting those people and learning from them and exploring, then then there's nowhere scary on this planet. There's Yeah, there's really not. I mean, there are maybe a handful of places on the planet that are re- truly no-go zones. Um, just because why take the risk, but still there are people there that are doing their daily commute Oh, for and sure. for them, it's just, I mean, like, your um, experiences in Antarctica and Greenland yeah. for sure. Right. But then we've met people who go to Antarctica every summer to work, yeah, that's you right. know, and yeah, for them, and it's their commute, them it's their commute right. And, and <laughs> totally. what an amazing place. Yeah, totally. Or like when I was at the South pole and you, you realize like, oh, they've got a commissary and they have a basketball, you know. You know, they, they play basketball at lunch and stuff. It just, it really is important to remember that it's not quite the adventure that people had a hundred years ago. Um, and really that needs to be less and less of the point. The point needs to be, how does it change us as people and how does our behaviors and our interactions help to change the lives of others? Um, and, and you have really shown an example of that. Um, and that's one of the things that I wanted to touch base on. I mean, you and I have known each other since probably at least 2005, I'm thinking, maybe 2006, because yeah. uh, you were really early member of Expedition Portal. Um, so we've interacted with each other for a long time. And throughout that process, I have seen um, Alice and you have not-for-profits that you're constantly working to give back in. And one of them that I think is worth talking about a little bit is the Muskoka Foundation, Um, and that was something, it was probably the first real effort that I saw in North American overlanding, uh, towards giving back. And in fact, that was essentially the function of it is if you're an overlander and you're traveling, get a hold of us and we can find, connect you with people to give back. So maybe talk a little bit about the framework of that organization. You mentioned that it's idled now. But I would love to know, like, practical, actionable advice for the listener of while they're traveling, how can they give back? How can they make a difference in these countries that they're visiting? Sure. So Alice and I were overlanding in Southeast Asia. We had an old Prado. We were bouncing around in, I think, Cambodia at the time. Mm. And, uh, you know, frankly, surrounded by poverty in Mm. some of the communities that we were in. And we wanted to make a difference somehow. And volunteer. 
And all of the programs that we found where we could do something were like painting a fence or, you know, renovating yeah. a, a school or hugging sure. babies. Right, 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 right. And we both have master's degrees or yeah. CEOs. Like we have value to contribute sure. beyond mending a fence. Sure. Right? And we could not find, other than for doctors, you know, Doctors Without Borders and, and a couple of engineering programs. But other than that, there was very little in terms of really skills transfer type nonprofits yeah. around. And so we created the Muskoka Foundation, which was then at dogoodasyougo.org. It's still there. Um, and isn't Muskoka a, an Inuit word? It's so it's it's not an Inuit. It's it's Native Canadian. Native Canadian. Yeah, it's yeah. a region in in Ontario, uh, north of north of Can okay. Toronto. Um, and, and what does it mean? That's where I, I don't actually believe. I don't know what it means. Okay, honestly. got it. You know, but it, well, we'll it's have an to area. Find out. We have, oh, it's an area. It's, it's an a area. region. I see. Yeah, I it's got a region. It. Okay, I got it. Yeah. It's a place. It's a place. Got it. Um, it's, it's where the cabin is. Um, and uh, so, so we created this nonprofit as a way of helping people who were traveling, whether it was for work, going on a business trip, mm. or overlanding on a bike, or whatever it may be, sure. to have trusted partners in communities on four continents where they could go into either street kid shelters or orphanages or, or what have you, um, and do skills transfer workshops teaching what they know or teaching photography. We had, we had kits of cameras that we would send with them, um, doing math lessons or, or all kinds of stuff. Um, but what was, was important- English, Was English language one of them? English language was not one of them because there's okay. a bunch of English teaching programs. Got it, right? got it. And, and again, we wanted to sort of use the unique skills of the individual travelers rather than just sort of base- I see. Uh, kind of sure. transfers. And what's interesting is that not only did we vet the communities so that the travelers knew that this was a legitimate place and not someone who's just trying to get volunteerism kind of money. But at the same time, we were vetting the travelers to make sure that we weren't sending somebody risky into a children's yes, of course, environment. Of course. Right? And so we became the trusted partner in that relationship. The intermediary. The sure. intermediary. We did not charge a penny to anybody. Right? We never charged the partners. We never charged the travelers. The whole thing was run for free mm -hmm. as really a, a vetting and information exchange. And it became a network of about 500 overlanders who had a desire to do good while they were traveling. Yeah. And they then started helping each other. And that community became fascinating. Yeah. Right? Um, I had sold my first business. Um, didn't want to give the money to my kids. And right. so we took that money, we put it into the foundation, right? Sure. But that was a finite resource. Sure. Um, in the end, we ran for about eight years. We helped, as I say, about 500 travelers, uh, you know, many thousands of youth in yeah, different sure. communities, right? Sure. Um, but when we moved here, we realized that we wanted to make a difference on a different scale. And so now Alice, with her work that she does in several areas around Africa, as well as all across India and in Colombia, um, she's dealing with communities of millions of wow. people, wow. right? Uh, she does work with the World Bank at extreme poverty levels, people less than $2 a day, um, and, and she's currently working on 20 million people, right? That's the scale that she's... Now Incredible. For me, building the, the gaming industry across Africa and doing the, the behavioral change that we're doing, we're creating thousands of jobs yeah. across the continent. And so for us, 
the Muskoka Foundation was was a fantastic experience. We did a lot of good. Um, I think we helped a lot of people on both sides of that equation. Yeah. Um, but the reality is it was never scale. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to do more. And sure. so that's why we sort of have, have left that. Um, the website is still there. There's all kinds of great resources for people they want to find. Um, and but is that MuskokaFoundation.org? No it's dogoodasyougo.org. That's yeah. a great URL. Yeah. You want to hold on to that one. So uh, if you were to give like the top three things that an, an overlander that is like either an organization you'd recommend or things that you've seen be replicatable across multiple continents, what are maybe the top three things that someone can do to make a difference while they're traveling? Sure. So I mean, a couple of handy rules, right? One, never pay. Right? There's all kinds of organizations. There's an industry that has built up around volunteerism. Yeah. Right? Um, avoid them at all costs. Okay. That's the first thing. Right? The second thing is in anything that you do, whatever it may be, um, think about the sustainability of that. Right? What happens the day after you leave? Right. Because there's all too many people with great intentions yeah. that, that, leave candies for kids and handing out and get yeah. smiles and that's great. Yeah, yeah. But there's no dentistry there, no right. toothbrushes or whatever, right? And it teaches <laughs> the kids to run out to the road. Absolutely, right? Which is really dangerous. Yeah, for it's dangerous for the kids. It's bad for the future travelers. It's yeah. bad for their teeth. It's, it's bad in many, many ways, right? Right, right? So try and think about these unintended consequences and think about how you can create a lasting uh, impact, right? Right through doing skills transfer, through teaching, through creating something that will last like a school or building yeah. housing or that kind of thing. There's there's all kinds of amazing programs out there. So much more now than when we started, mm -hmm. right? What, where's uh, a good place to, to look for that? I, I mean, I think Lonely Planet is still a great resource. Okay, got it. On Thorn okay. Tree, there's all kinds okay. of great resources. Um Gee, you know, there's there's so much. Yeah. It's hard for me to, to well, to we'll say we'll one. put we'll put a couple of them in the an expedition the, portal. Also, yeah, you know, there, there's there is all some kinds of, of great people on there. Yeah, there is some of that on there. Yeah, and I think also just starting from the foundation of um, reminding yourself that you're a guest in these countries, which means you start with the foundation of not doing any harm while you're there. You know, don't get in an accident. Slow your speed down. Um, be respectful. Um, again, don't like don't do volunteerism where it, the money doesn't end up in the local communities. Find locally owned businesses that you can, uh, you know, go to dinner at a restaurant that's owned by a local as opposed to a Nando's or some chain right. that is owned by somebody in an ivory tower. Right? And by the way, if you're there to have travel experiences, you're going to have a better experience anyhow. Yeah, way better experience. Right? Absolutely. The, the, the best people we ever met when we were overlanding were when we were working in communities, yeah. you know, uh, some of the native communities up, up above the Arctic circle, um, stuff that we've done in India, like yeah. all, all around the world, you just meet amazing, amazing people because now you're not there as a tourist. Sure. Right. And there's, there's this amazing native American, uh, quote, I'm, I wish I could remember the name of the person who says, if, if you've come here to help me, then we've already lost. Right. Right. Because it changes but hold, the frame. But hold my hand yeah. and let's walk together yeah. and approach this challenge together as I partners. Like I like and, that. And that's the way to think about all of these, right? Mm -hmm. it, don't take the colonial perspective, especially here in Africa, of, of thinking that you're here to help, right? Because um, that's, not, that's not what's needed. Oh, that's such an important reminder, Jay. Thanks for saying that so clearly.
So that way we all know that, like, let's be a good guest. Let's be humble. Um, let's make sure that the resources that we are investing our time or our money are going to reputable sources. And then don't have the mindset of I'm here to help someone else. It's that I'm, I'm here to be a partner in helping or here to be a partner in achieving their goals. So, yeah. No, and and remember important. that your goals are tied up in theirs, yeah, right? sure. My grandfather used to always say, you have two ears and one mouth, use them in that ratio. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's so um, important. Th there's That's a reason so why you've chosen to pack all of your life into the back of a pannier bag and yeah. travel around the world. It's because it's you're there to learn. Yeah. And if you're not, then what are you doing? Ah, that's so true. And it changes us. Travel, travel changes us in ways that I would have never imagined 20 years ago when I started this. And I'm, I think that's my, the majority of my gratitude around what I do is because of the ways that it has softened me and, and uh, changed me. So changed my perspective uh, that I had never expected. So, But then also, Scott, think about the thousands of lives that you've touched around the world and oh, every you. time I've ever seen you there's people who come up to you and, and they know who you are and what you're doing and uh, it's it leaves a lasting impact for sure well thank you I appreciate that so when we talk about impact one of the things that you did that I think is so interesting is build um, it's it was really a, like a tech test of the eco roamer <laughs> so um, you know we have a mutual friend in Doug Hackney and he he was he was going down about the same time you guys were both doing one-off expedition camper builds, which thanks to both of you, I know I'll never try that myself because <laughs> <laughs> like both of my buddies are like, this was not a good idea, but I, I suspect you learned a lot. So it's one of the most popular threads on Expedition Portal. Do you remember where it's at for views right now? Oh, it's in the millions. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, definitely yeah. in the millions of views. Um, and it's called the Eco Rummer when you go onto Expedition Portal and search for it. And it's an incredible build. But what what inspired you to do that? Um, talk a little bit about like what the mission was of that vehicle. So so when Alice and I were on that trip in Cambodia, uh, camping in the back of a of a Prado ninety series, um, we uh, we were looking up at the stars one night. And we made a pinky promise to each other that when we had kids, which we didn't at the time, we wouldn't stop. And we would keep keep overland and keep exploring. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as anybody who's a parent knows, your life changes when you have when you have kids and, and they take up room and come with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, but we knew we wanted to travel around the world. And we, we tried to find a vehicle that would be uh, big enough to be both our transport as well as our home, as well as a schoolroom, as well as the office, because we were both running businesses yeah. all simultaneously while not leaving a, a footprint. Yeah, you know, we, sure. wanted, we wanted to leave the world better than what we came into it. And at the time, this is 2006, 2007, just did not exist. Yeah. You know, and there's certainly more today. And, and I may uh, arrogantly think that I had something to do with the creation of that oh, space. You certainly influenced but, it. Yeah. yeah. And so we created what we called the EcoRomer, which ran entirely off of solar power and biodiesel. Uh, all the materials that built it were recycled. Um, so we used recycled aluminum uh, as the framing. We used recycled paper for the countertops. Um, it, the entire thing was, was done. And that in itself was a fascinating challenge because component by component, I had to go through and try and find 
what we could do. Composting toilets. Um, Which know, are now they, totally common. Now common. At the time, completely not. 12-volt air conditioning, now common. Totally wasn't at the yeah, time, right? Sure. All these different things. And, um, and I decided that since it didn't exist and yet should exist, that I would open source the entire build. Yeah. And so I documented everything on Expedition Portal. We had spreadsheets showing all the parts and the costs and the weight for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of our CAD files that we built it in Sturgis, Michigan. Uh, Jeff Cool, <laughs> And uh, we just had an amazing experience doing that such that I said, if we never drove a mile in the Ecoromer, already it was worth the money mm-hmm. and the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it took about two and a half years to build. And it was the greatest experience I ever had, you know, wow. doing that. And, uh, but we did drive it and we took it to Burning Man a couple of times. We went up to the Arctic Circle. We went all the way down to California, Florida and all the states in between and, uh, put about 50,000 miles on it. How long did you live in the vehicle? A little over a year. Wow. A little over a year. And then on Christmas Eve, uh, 2010, we were in San Jose, California and literally the wheels came off it. (laughs) Um, the, it was based on a Ford F650 chassis and, uh, at the time, Ford and International were sharing components uh, on the chassis, and there was a known weakness with the leaf springs on the rear axle, okay. and one of them cracked, oh, wow. and, uh, and the rear axle came dislodged, and, uh, and that basically stopped our trip. And we then repaired it, and it's Probably back to normal, it and it's fine. it very quickly. It did stop it very quickly. Wait, how fast were you driving when that happened? We were in an intersection doing a left-hand turn, oh, so about, about a mile an hour. Oh, you thank know, goodness. Yeah, we were crawling. Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the entire camper just went, whoop, and uh, yeah, and the fire trucks came, and the kids had like little teddy bears in the fire truck. <laughs> it was definitely part of the overlanding experience for sure. Um, I'm sure all of us with landowners in the past have spent many hours by the side of a road. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of them. Um, Wild. But, but yeah, and that then took us onto a different path. Sure. Wow. That's incredible. And, um, and I think influence, I think it was really a changing point in overlanding when, when people began to realize that it was possible to live and work from the road. And that's one of the things that I believe, Allison, you have done such a masterful job of. of um, I mean, even talking to you before the podcast, you know, you're telling me about how your son's using G- chat GPT and just like this incredible chain of technology to solve problems. Um, and you've always had that mindset. So what, what are some things that you've learned about traveling and working from the road that really helps you today? Like what are some of the technologies that you've really found makes a difference for working on the road or, or even practices? Sure. I mean, first of all, transformative, I think, is Starlink, right? So that, true. That did not exist yeah, when, so we were, when we were overlanding. And now it's, I mean, it's remarkable, Yeah. right? It, I mean, that's the only way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the second thing is, is put everything in the cloud, right? Uh, Google Drive is what I use yeah. with a direct sync to my laptop. So if ever I'm offline, I'm not connected, I still have everything there. Um, but also if my laptop gets stolen or left at a roadside sure. or anything, I'm never more than a few hours away from another laptop and, and being able to reconnect to work. Yeah. Um, or even on your phone, you can or access, phone, absolutely. access most yeah, of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So those, those are both transformative technologies for sure. And then do you use VPN sometimes or do you not find that Rarely. it's necessary? Yeah, I don't find it's as necessary as it used to be. Yeah. You know, like the one thing I found was like you cannot start your Spotify account when you're in another country. Right. 
I was like, oh, no, I can't get to my all my music. Because <laughs> I had, like, the free account, and then I wanted the... You can't do it. Like, you got to do it in your home country. Yeah, but it's also, I think, important when you're overlanding to always have your your photos and your music local. Yeah. You know? Um don't rely on having a Spotify kind of connection, right? Which you would totally think in, the, in the in the West, right? Totally true. Yeah, and because you you don't always have a connection. Although, on the last segment when I had Starlink on the vehicle, I was running ten megabits a second down the road. Yeah, it's like right. it's insane. But that's also not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, right. True. Like you're asking about VPNs before. A lot of people use VPNs so they can Hulu or whatever, yeah. right? Well, remember, you're in the Middle East or in Africa or whatever. Right, right. You're not there to watch. Netflix. That's true. Right? Yeah, open so true. open your eyes, look around. There, there's a there's a better show going on around you than there is on Netflix. No, I agree. And and one of the things that I in fact I even have it on me now because it's that become that much a part of my process. But you know, I have this four terabyte solid state drive that so I have everything in the cloud. I leave I never reuse an SD card. The cards always, I just put in new ones um, and I save. So I, that's another, so I have one copy here, one copy in the camera on the SD cards, and then I push another copy up to the cloud. So I've got that triple redundancy right. that I feel at least around, as a creative, uh, because like losing this podcast with all of this incredible knowledge that you're sharing, it would be, it would feel devastating to me. Like I feel like I would have done you a disservice and the listener a disservice. So like be, before I even leave here, it'll be backed up three times. Right. So, you know, I think two key lessons that are not mine, but I've learned from others. Right. Um, words of wisdom from the from the uh, expo over the years. Sure. Right. One is from Austin Vance, um, who his philosophy, and I, I still love it, is get on your bike and go. Take nothing. Yeah. In his case, his overalls. Right. Yeah. And. If you need something, borrow it. Yeah. And if you need it a second time, then buy it. Yeah, that's and great. And carry advice. it with you. That's great advice. Right? So true. And otherwise, not. And and the second one, Jupiter Travels, you know, his, his advice, look up. Right? <laughs> yeah. We we have our four terabyte drives and our cameras and we want to take the images and we want to capture these things and all yeah. that. There's a million photos of giraffes in the world. Right? <laughs> so the true. world does not need another your photo of a giraffe, right? Very Put true. the camera down. Very and true. look at the draft. Mm-hmm. What I carry instead, I have a little uh, leather three stu- three leg stool, um, has a strap and goes on my back. Um, and I'll go out at six o'clock in the morning and I'll walk into the woods and sit and, and watch a family of giraffes eating their breakfast in the morning. Yeah. And I won't take my phone. I won't take my camera. Mm. And I remember that far more than I ever would looking at those pictures on Google Photos three years from now. Um, yeah, that's really that's a really thoughtful position and i think it kind of comes in line with that whole concept of cosmic insignificance the realization that our life is so short and that within a few generations will be completely forgotten it's not something that i find depressing i actually find it very empowering because it reminds me of like this time with you and the time that i get to spend with somebody that i've known for 20 years is where i need to be spending my energy and that maybe the work that we do together makes a difference in someone else's life that makes a difference in someone else's life. They'll forget about us along, you know, very soon, but it may extend that opportunity out to other people. So we really do have just those moments to sit on a three-legged leather stool and look at the giraffe and appreciate it fully ourselves as a sovereign individual, as opposed to like, 
this is my new Instagram story. So, which I know that I'm tempted by. It's something that I try to work on. Oh, I think we're all tempted. I mean, I think psychologically it's designed to tempt us, yeah, right? That, right? That we they like mas- the likes. They're masterful. Yeah, absolutely. They're masterful at that. Absolutely. So given the fact that you are in technology and you work so much with, this is a selfish question. So the fact that you're in technology and you work so much with uh, developing applications that are meant to influence someone, but in a positive way towards conservation, animal conservation, or conservation of the culture, or, or, or ch- changes in behaviors. Um, what are some things that people need to be mindful of from a technological standpoint when they're traveling um, to have more of those moments? Like, what are some things that you've learned that help to create some discipline around these, these incredibly powerful tools that influence us or distract us? So, great resource that I met in Guanajuato, you know them. Um, taught me to take a breath mm-hmm. before you talk. Yeah. <laughs> right. Take take that that brief beef beat. You know, yeah. to think about not just what you're going to say so that you don't hurt somebody else, or whatever, but also to be maybe a little bit aware of what's going on inside of you. Mm. What's right. Your reaction and what it? and why you're about to react in the way that you react. Mm. And then question is this actually how I would like to react? Because I think we've all gone to bed at night and think thought about the stuff that we said during the day and regret some of the things that we said and whatever. And a lot of that can be prevented by, by just that half a second before when you talk. So I think I think that also applies to the experiences that we're going to have, mm. you know, and realize and that even the, commenting on Twitter. Oh, or, absolutely. Or X. Oh, absolutely. Like just take take a beat before. You say that unkind thing or whatever. Honestly, I'm off them. Yeah. I, I've pulled myself off Facebook, off Twitter. Uh, I was on Mastodon, you know. And, and they give an amazing sense of community, but also a false sense of community, mm. you know. Um, what have you replaced that time with? People. Yeah. <laughs> you know, real people, real experiences. Yeah. Um, and it sounds weird, but the, look, the way I like it. I think it, weird's a good thing anymore. Yeah. We've become so homogeneous. We're just like everybody's one, the same version of the, of the next person. Yeah. You know, so I think about the early 1900s and uh, the original invention of the car, the automobile. And until about like from 1907 until about 1925, that, that brief period in there, um, it was chaos. Yeah. Right? There, there was no traffic lights. There weren't sidewalks. There weren't yellow lines down the middle of the road. Cars were going every which way. Intersections were crazy. As it sometimes is in Nairobi. <laughs> that's what I was, yeah, was going to say. Absolutely. Was absolutely. Saying, right? Sounded like my commute this morning. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, and it's very organic. Right? <laughs> yeah, there's a flow to and it. And there's a flow to it. And, yeah. and it works. And yeah. you get where you want to go. True. But at the same time, there's big snarl ups. And yeah. when they happen, they really happen. And you can sit for hours in a traffic jam, right? So true. That's where we are now with social media. Yeah. Right? I mean, we have to remember 17 years ago, the very first iPhone ever came out. Right. Right? We're less than two decades into this. Right. And we're a fraction still. Fraction of a single generation. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? We're still developing those yeah. social norms, those practices, the, those traffic lights yeah. to teach us appropriate ways to behave that's in the interest of everybody. Yeah. Right? And at the moment, we're all operating in the interest of ourselves, as the drivers do in the chaotic traffic of Nairobi streets. So true. Right? Yeah. And, and those, those guidelines help. 
And so I think we have to remember that when we get onto Twitter, we get onto Facebook, etc., to remember that it's our duty, as as it was those drivers in 1907, to to create those practices mm-hmm. to create those mores and to hold ourselves to the better standard because there aren't radar cameras and red light cameras etc doing it for us yet yeah no that's so true that's very good advice thank you and it's and it's good to hear that you're off of those things it's something that i've put a lot of guardrails around um, that's made a big difference M- mostly just getting it off my phone was the biggest thing and then now i just have it on an ipad so if i if I want to get onto Instagram, then I've got to go get another device, and I've got to be intentional about it, and then put it away. Absolutely, but but at the same time, Scott, you know, Expedition Portal, that original thread about the Ecoromer, yeah, uh, gave an amazing sense of community. I mean, yeah. until today, I'm friends with with people that I met then, Doug, yeah. Mark, yourself, etc. Yeah. Um, all came about from us as a community solving those problems together. Yeah. Um, and, and so I do believe that real connection is possible through a digital means. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but I do think we have to be intentional about it. Yeah, maybe just being careful about it for sure. And don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah, so true. It all starts with that. It all starts with that. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I'm so impressed with your kids and the direction that they're going. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, uh, your daughter is getting ready to do three months on – on a educational ship. Is that right? No, no, no. no. So, so she's a part of something called think global school. Okay. Think global school. Yeah, okay. Which got is it. a, which is a traveling high school, traveling high school. Got and it. they spend, uh, each term in a different country. That's so, so awesome. She's in, uh, Hiroshima, Japan at the moment. <laughs> uh, she was just in Australia and the term before that they were in Bosnia and she's heading to Greece the next term. Um, it's, Jay, about, that's incredible. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing experience. It's about I had 40, no idea that that was even... I mean, I'd, I'd heard about the boats that do that, and maybe that's why I was thinking that, but to go from Bosnia to Japan to Australia, that's just incredible. Yeah. And and what's cool is, I mean, this sounds like the realm of rich kids and a, and a very posh kind of thing, but actually of the 40 kids that are in the school, they come from 29 different countries, from many different economic backgrounds. Uh, it's incredibly stringent to get in. There was more than 200 applications for 10 positions each wow. year. Wow! Um, it's it's all run as a nonprofit. It's an amazing, amazing school. And and what we're fascinated with it, and why we put her there, and you put her there, she found it. Um, yeah, it was is, her that suggested it. Was her, it, it was her. It? This was all driven by her. Absolutely. I thought so yeah. Um, is that it really is a laboratory for the future of learning, right? The world is changing. Education needs to change as well. And this project-based, interdisciplinary, place-based approach yeah. is fascinating. Oh, my gosh. Um, and and creates the kind of global citizen, as you're saying, that, that I think is necessary uh, for thriving in the world in the decades to come. And so, so I think while this is a tiny example at the moment, I, I do think it's going to uh, it's gonna scale. Have you seen more like that? Are there more out there? Not yet. Th- but they're coming. Wow. There's, and then, there's, there's a few interesting schools. So the Green School in Bali uh, is fascinating. There, there's another one that's modeled after Green School now in South Africa. Um, there, are, there are pockets, for sure. Now, what are the, what's the continuity then of learning? Does the teacher remain the same? The t- teachers travel with the kids. Ah, uh, got country it. To country. Okay. And then, so, and then is, the, is the curriculum set 
and then executed in those different locations, or does the curriculum also change? So the curriculum still follows traditional high school sort of curriculum, yeah. but instead of being books and test-based, it's project-based. Okay. And when they're in Bosnia, for example, they use the fact that they're in Bosnia to teach the curriculum. Mm. So they had a whole module on AI and journalism, um, where they went and interviewed people who covered the war in Sarajevo um, and talked about how AI tools today can be used for fact-checking and research and Mm. creation, etc. And so, uh, again, in Australia, they they dealt with indigenous uh, things in Hiroshima. They're talking about nuclear power and the war and all and peace and conflict issues and all that kind of thing. Talking to survivors from from then, and then they went and toured a nuclear power plant. I mean, they're doing all kinds of really fascinating things that you could only do there. Oh, wow! Um, and yet, that's unique. It's the end bringing of one, that into the curriculum. It's the end of one of that. The best case to learn that subject would be in those environments. That's right. Wow, that's cool. And and. Uh, what other ways have you seen your kids change because of your global travels? So my son, you know, when we moved here, he really got into it. Um, he learned fluent Swahili. Whoa. Um, his Swahili is pretty amazing uh, <laughs> and awesome. always throws awesome. off people. And he's got long blonde hair. I mean, yeah, he, he does not awesome. look like a Kenyan. Um, but he also started uh, or led a, uh, a social enterprise here doing plastic recycling so collecting waste plastic bottles and all that mm-hmm. from from communities and slums and then extruding that into products new products that then are sold in safari lodges and hotels and all that to generate jobs and income for people in the slums and to give um, them a reason to recycle absolutely yeah, f- yeah. an economic lever yeah and so now recycling. they have 14 workshops around east africa oh and that was your son that did that. Um, he was one of the leaders of it. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. So, then, so now, so now he's at school in Georgia Tech in Atlanta, uh, studying aerospace. He wants to be an astronaut, but he brings he with should, him <laughs> that uh, perspective yeah, and that humility too. Yeah. So, you've also spent decades traveling with your wife Alice, and you guys are both really uh, connected and very busy entrepreneurs and business leaders, um, how do you guys find, or what are the things that you've learned from Alice, or what, what are ways that you've learned to travel together um, that makes it easier, that makes travel more effective for you as a couple? The $64 million question. Yeah, because um, that's why I asked it, because it's always good to know, yeah, know how, people, how people solve it. So I mentioned before the night the Ecoromer, the axle came off. We are, we are in California. Literally two hours before that, we were in some parking lot having like the fight of our life. Crazy argument. Uh, the wheels were coming the, off. The wheels were coming off because she had missed some yoga class or it was something, yeah. right? It was like whatever it was. Yeah. And that was it. And in an overlanding, it's like a pressure cooker and yeah. sometimes it builds up and oh, it all came out, right? Yeah. And it seemed like the end of the world kind of thing until... <laughs> The wheels come off the truck, right. and then you realize that actually none of it matters. Right. 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 right, right. Um, what's important is that you're safe, yeah. and that it didn't blow up, and that the kids are safe, and the fire trucks are there, and all that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And so I think what that taught us, as as did a million other experiences over the 23 years we've been married, is is perspective and benefit of the doubt, 
and and realizing that that the person on the other side is is a human as well and has good intentions and has good intentions and yeah. you're both a, you're a team yeah. and and man it's hard sometimes it is uh, yeah. but if you approach life as a team yeah more than as a couple yeah. um, you can get through anything and what are you most proud of about Alice what are you most proud of it's, that's very hard to narrow down because it's incredible she, what she she's does. A, yeah, she's somebody who's done exceptional. A lot. Yeah, yeah, person, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I'm like here and she's there, right? And 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 realizing that is the first secret to success in, <laughs> in the marriage, right? Um, no, she's an amazing, amazing person, and and uh, I'm I'm incredibly proud of the fact that she's amongst all of her. Harvard Business School classmates who are off doing hedge funds and whatever. She's the only one I know who puts on her hiking boots and goes into a village to sit down on the ground and talk with women um, and to understand what they actually need and to help them bring their families out of poverty and and create livelihoods for, as I say now, millions of of families, uh, you know, around the world. Um, And, and she's, you know, from a salary perspective, earning a fraction of what, classmates are doing and what she used to do as a banker and that kind of thing. But, but the realization that it's not about any of that, right? Uh, You can't take it with you as they say. Um, And uh, you know, as as you mentioned, this sort of generational that we're only here for the short time, she and I are really focused on this concept of net positive impact, right? Leave the world a better place than what you came into it with. Sure. And And if everybody does a little bit of that, absolutely. That's a huge lever. Absolutely. Just one person, it does make a difference in, you know, let's call it, in your, well, in your wife's case, millions of lives. But, like, let's may, maybe use me as an example. Maybe I'm able to influence a life of 10 people in a positive way. And if they can leverage that, it just really starts to make a huge difference. It really does. Now, it's, I've always had just such tremendous respect for both of you, uh, for the Muskoka Foundation and the work that you guys did with that for the open source nature of your eco-roamer build, uh, what you're doing right now in Africa by helping to create games that create positive change around poaching, around animal welfare, around conservation in general. And sexual reproductive health and and all those kinds of things as well. You know, it's not not just nature and wildlife. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's just incredible. So before we go on to ways that people can find out more about what you're doing and how they can support in some way. Um, the, one of the questions that I like to ask is if you were to give some advice, which you've done a little bit of that so far, but somebody new first day on expedition portal and he gets a chance to sit down with you having spent decades traveling around the world. What are the one, two, three pieces of key advice that you would give someone that was starting that journey? Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is live your life today, right? There's all kinds of people who toil for years in jobs that they hate, uh, saving some money so that someday they can take that trip. And then they have a heart attack two weeks before they retire, right? And it never happens. Um, And it happens so often. It happens all too often. Absolutely, right? Um, Get out there today. And and even if that's just a long weekend, uh, even if it's taking your kids camping in the backyard, whatever it may be, start making those memories immediately. Yeah. The second thing is, it, and this sounds hypocritical because I built a really big truck and it costs a lot of money, um, but you don't need it, yeah. right? Well, what, but now you know. Now I know. Absolutely. Uh, now you we, know. we 
we would be bouncing along these back roads in Cambodia in our, in our Land Cruiser with the roof rack and the bull bar and the mud tires. And we felt fantastic, right? And then you get passed by a Cambodian in a Camry. Totally. Right? Or in a tuk-tuk. <laughs> right? Or these old broken down Corollas from yeah, yeah. Cape Cod that have parking stickers on them from the 1980s, right? Like yeah. it doesn't, you don't need it, yeah. right? Um, what's important is that you get out there, yeah. right? Uh, even if it's with a backpack, it doesn't matter. The world is there to be explored, that your days are finite. Um, get out there and explore. Jay, do you, do you find that um, the fact that you have done like the backpacking trip, I'm trying to, to relate it more to the listener. You've had some incredible innovations and in businesses that you and, and your wife, Alice, have created. Do you find that, that those moments of minimalism, those moments of traveling in a backpack have helped you to create this success? Have, has there been learnings from that, inspirations that come from that? Yeah, or think, is it just necessary for you? No, no, I think I think it does. I think it, what it creates is is focus, mm. and that's that's something that that I struggle with. And we talked about before. You know, yeah. I've got ADD as well. Um, but yeah, focus doesn't necessarily come easy. Yeah. Um, but realizing what's important and being intentional about it, right. I think, is really important. And and particularly on the road, you know, there's practical reasons for that, right? In terms of weight of your vehicle yeah, right? sure. and, and things breaking down and whatever. Right. Um, as, as Austin said, you know, concentrate on what's important. Yeah. Right. And, and by the way, unless you're going to the South pole, um, you don't need it. You don't need it. it. You, you don't need it. Right. And by the don't. way, at the South pole, there's guys with wrenches there as well. Yeah, right. That's so true. You'll be and, okay. Yeah. And it, like that, this trip across Africa, it's just, you know, the, the Grenadier is very cool, but it's also totally stock. So you, it could have been a four-door Jimny, it could have been any other vehicle, but you just, you just don't need it. Even very remote and challenging terrain. I mean, there's times that you want four-wheel drive just for some peace of mind if you're a solo traveler, but um, you don't need much. You really don't need much. You don't, but, but at the same time, some of the best experiences I've had traveling and the coolest people I've met we're when we got stuck. Yeah, yeah. Where we broke totally, down. Totally. We we were on this muddy back road in the in the middle of uh, Kenya once, and uh, we got properly stuck in a Defender, like properly stuck. And and there were these potato farmers, these five guys who were just walking along the road, and and they helped push us out. And we we managed to get out. There's no way we would have gone out without them. Um, and then all five of them got into the Defender and we drove them to the next town. <laughs> That's you know? awesome. And, and we had an amazing time. That's incredible. Uh, Jay, one of the other things that I love to ask is um, around favorite books. Do you have, um, it can be business, it can be life, it can be travel. Do, are there some, some books that have really uh, influenced you or you find her? Oh, the Overland Journal is definitely <laughs> <my favorite. laughs> That's so kind of you to say. That's so kind of you to say. Uh, I honestly, I I don't. That's okay. Um, I, I love a lot. I'm listening to uh, a gentleman in Moscow at the moment, which wow. is fantastic. Uh, yeah. It's a great, great story. Um, yeah, there's so many. Like yeah. I, it'd be hard to pick. Yeah. No, that's okay. No, that's all right. Sometimes, uh, and we get a lot of the Jupiter's travels and all that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. in there, which I think is a good reminder. Well, Jay, how do people find out more about? Um, either organizations that you believe in or the organizations that you're involved in. Um, if you do, it doesn't sound like you have a big footprint on social media personally anymore, but how can people find out maybe about what Alice is doing, um, ways that they can give back? 
That's a tough question because and it's okay. Say, if it's we, don't have, a... we don't have a real footprint. Um, I'm certainly active on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, anybody's free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. What I will say is I get a lot of connection requests on LinkedIn. Yeah. So if you send me a connection request without a note, I will reject it. Yeah, sure. Right? It has um, to be but, a connection. Yeah. Send, send connection. me who you are. Tell me, you know, why you're interested in joining, right. you know, connecting. And I'll happily share any experience with you. Yeah, I, sure. I, I give a lot of my time from that perspective. Yeah. Right. And then people can also see the Eco Roamer bill on Expedition Portal. Yeah. And it's also at ecoroamer.com. It's yeah. still there. Um, it's not very active, but it's definitely still there. You can see all the pictures of it, uh, on expedition portal. The thread is still there. Thank you yep. very much for maintaining it all these of course, years. Of course. Um, I, I think a lot of it is outdated now because the technology has moved on so much, but the concepts are still absolutely valid. And I yeah. would encourage anybody today who has spent dozens of hours watching van life, YouTube videos, yeah. um, to maybe move away from the dazzle and the, ridiculously attractive influencers who seem to gravitate towards uh, sprinter vans um, and think more about, you know, what your footprint is as you're doing that trip um, and how you can reduce that. Yeah. Uh, and more importantly is, is, you know, put some windows in your van so that you can look out in the world around you. Cause that's why you're going. <laughs> yeah. Or bring along that three-legged stool. Bring along the three-legged stool. Absolutely. And spend some time looking at the giraffe instead of taking a picture of it. T is the great, uh, equalizer, yeah. you know, um, Duncan Barber. Yep, Duncan Barber. Duncan Barber says that the greatest four by four tool around is a tea kettle. Yeah, that's right. Right? Because if you ever get stuck, the first thing you do is make a cup of tea. And and the reality is, if you put on a cup of tea, uh, somebody will come join you. That's and, right. And you'll make a new friend. That's um, right. and, and maybe come up with a better solution than absolutely. if you just tried to if you just tried to j jump in. You know, Jay. Allison, you've always been an inspiration. Um, I'm proud to know you, proud to call you a friend. I'm so glad that we've been able to spend some time together on a couple different occasions here in Kenya. Um, I look forward to seeing what happens from your game, gaming enterprise and what Alice continues uh, to make changes in the world. But thank you so much for joining us today. No, thanks for the conversation, Scott. And, and you truly have changed our lives and the lives of our family and therefore all of the other people that we've influenced downstream. Mm. Um, you know, this community would not exist without you. And so, you know, we're thankful for you too. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. We thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you next time.